Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to this edition of the Defender Bible Study. It's Monday, April 26, 2021. My name is Chris Johnson. I serve as the National Director of Church Partnerships for Lifeline Children's Services. Today we're going to be continuing our look at 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and we'll be spending some time in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. If you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn to 1st Thessalonians chapter number 4. Uh, We are really excited to be able to continue our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians uh, and uh, seeing what the Lord has for us there from the Apostle Paul. Of course, we just kind of a little bit of background information. We know that uh, Acts 17 kind of tells us the story of Paul being there at Philippi and uh, or, or being there after visiting Philippi. He then goes to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And uh, Paul and Silas first went to the Jews and carried the gospel there. Um, but then, as was often the case, they ended up then going and presenting the gospel to the Gentiles there uh, in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, one thing I love about what it says about Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, as they're going and looking for who, you know, the ones that are doing this teaching, it says there, where are the ones who turned the world upside down? And man, what a great testimony that is. Man, oh, that that would be our testimony, uh, that as we preach and proclaim the gospel and share the gospel with others, that, man, we would just turn this world upside down uh, for good and for the for the for the glory of God and so uh, that was that was their story and so as they were teaching we see that this church at Thessalonica was mostly made up of Greeks of Gentiles and of course in a spiritual sense Gentiles were described as those who did not know God and so these were differing from the Jews who are steeped in tradition and understanding of the scriptures these were people that did not have that background um, had not been taught the the more code of the Ten Commandments and other uh, commandments and the law that had been given. So they were uh, not walking in those in those things, and these things would have been very foreign to them. And, you know, it makes you kind of think, I, I don't know, I know maybe a lot of us on here grew up in the church or grew up in Christian families, but for those maybe that didn't, maybe you remember when you first came to know the Lord, and there were things about the Christian faith or things about your church that seemed odd to you that just didn't kind of make sense at first. Um, I remember one of my favorite stories. We had a, a family in our church that had invited another family to come to them, and this family had not been... Uh, in church at all in their, in their life had not did not have that background but they had heard about church and heard about things and of course I was pastoring a Baptist church at the time and uh, about halfway through the service this family told me that, that, that their friends leaned over to them and and said and leaned over and said where's the tree and and he was like what are you what are you talking about he's kept saying where's where's the tree and he's like what do you mean and he's like well I always heard that that Baptists had this tree in their church he's like what are you talking about and and so they got to talking and figured out what he was saying was he, he had always heard that Baptist churches have a Baptist tree, a Baptist tree. And so he was looking for the Baptist tree. And so uh, that was that was foreign to them to understand what a, a Baptist tree, a baptismal pool uh, would be in a Baptist church. And so, um, but you know, there, there are a lot of things that we just kind of take for granted and sometimes our lingo, but but even more so than our lingo, just really the the, the, the code of, of morality that we were taught growing up or that has been instilled in us as Christ followers. And I'm so thankful for the things that, you know, that my parents taught me and the things that I learned growing up 
uh, in the church. But I, we have to be mindful of those that, that are new to their faith and new to coming to Christ don't have that perspective always. And that certainly would have been the case here of the, the believers at Thessalonica. They would not have been brought up in these things. So it's very important that Paul taught them these fundamental truths and the importance of uh, walking in, in a way that would bring glory and honor to God. And it was in a way that was in complete contrast to those around them. And, and that's really a lot of what you see in 1 Thessalonians 4 is this comparing, this contrast between the life they used to live uh, when the, before they came to Christ and now the life that they're called to live as Christ followers. And so uh, Paul was writing them. He, he, we, we know his, his love for these people. We saw in chapter 3, Timothy had brought a good report back to Paul and, on how things were going. He was very encouraged. Uh, and really just we see his love and his passion for the people. And even as he prays for them at the end of chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be looking today at verses 9 through 12 in chapter 4. But, but to really understand those verses, I think we need a little bit more context. And so really all of chapter 4 is kind of one large admonition to uh, the people there at the Thessalonica. And so it's important kind of to, to get that context. And so looking in, in verse number one, Paul is saying here, finally then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. And uh, Blake, last time we were together, talked a little bit about this idea of walking with God. And so it's important to see what Paul is saying here. He says, he says, I ask you and I urge you. So we see, we hear his passion in that and his desire for them to, to walk in truth. And it, but he says there that you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing that you do so more and more. Uh, you ought to underline, if, you, if you're writing your Bible, underline that word walk and underline please God. Ultimately, that's what Paul is admon admonishing them to do. He is encouraging them as you are in new to this faith, as you are living in this fallen, broken world, I want to challenge you and encourage you and urge you to walk and please God to walk in a way that pleases and brings glory to God. Uh, both the, the verbs there that are used for walk and please God they're both in the in the Greek in the present tense, which means it's an action that started at one time and then is continuing on into the future. So literally he is saying, I want you to, to walk and keep on walking. I want you to please God and keep on pleasing God. Ultimately, what he is calling them to do is he and, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit calling us to do is that every believer, every one of us must live and walk a testimony that pleases God. As we interact with those around us, as we live in this broken world, we must walk in such a way that our testimony pleases God and our testimony is a witness to others around us. Now, he reminds them very quickly when he says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Verse number two, for what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He reminds them very clearly that this walk and this life cannot be done apart from Jesus Christ. He's not instructing them to, 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 to walk in such a way to get to Christ. He is saying, in light of your relationship with Christ, the power of the gospel at work in you is going to empower you to walk this way and to live in this way that pleases God. And so we too must be reminded of the importance of, of, of resting in the power of the gospel and allowing the gospel to, to be at work in our lives. Um, he goes on through this and he's going to really kind of give four different places where four different things that he is reminding them to walk in certain things. And uh, again, I, I've circled these in my Bible and encourage you to do so. In verse number seven, I would circle the word holiness. Uh, in verse number nine, the words brotherly love. Uh, in verse number 
Uh, 12, walk properly or maybe walk honestly. I don't know what your, your translation might say there. And then in verse number 13, circle the word, the word hope. And, and literally these are the things he is, he is admonishing the believers to walk in holiness, to walk in brotherly love or in harmony with one another, uh, to, to walk in honesty, walk properly, walk quietly before others, and then ultimately to walk in hope, uh, to walk in the hope that we have in the second coming of the Lord. Uh, so last time we looked at the first eight verses. And and uh, again, Blake led us in kind of this understanding of the importance of walking in holiness and walking in purity, keeping our lives pure, uh, walking in a way, again, abstaining from sexual immorality. Uh, this would have been rampant in the time of Thessalonica, uh, in the time of this writing, and it certainly is rampant in our time today as well. And so we see this admonition that we live in such a way, uh, walk in, in holiness before the world around us, so that our testimony, again, will please God and bring glory and honor to him. I want us to look today at verses 9 through 12, and we're going to look at this idea of walking in harmony, and then this idea of walking honestly, walking in honesty. And so let's look first of all at verses 9 and 10 and see uh, how the, that we should be walking in a way and walking in harmony with our brothers and sisters. Paul says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brethren, brethren throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Paul is, is, is saying here, uh, talking about this idea of brotherly love. In the, in the Greek language, there are four different words that are used to describe love. And we're probably familiar with, with most of those. The first one is eros, uh, which is that physical love. Uh, and and, and that, the physical love, talking about the love between husband and wife, love uh, in, in that sense. The, the next is uh, storge, which is a family love, a familial love. It's really used to describe the love of parents for their children. Uh, the third is one that we are very familiar with and very thankful for. It's that agape love. This is the love, the unconditional love that, that God shows toward us. Uh, but then there's the word phileo, uh, and this is a deep affection, such as in friendship or marriage. It really uh, is, is the word that's used here in verse number nine when he's talking about this brotherly love. We, of course, uh, know the city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, and that's exactly uh, where this comes from. And so Paul is admonishing the believers here at Thessalonians and us today, uh, that we would that we would walk in love for one another, that we would have a a a, a compassionate a, a deep affection. It's more than just a surface level relationship, but a deep affection and a and a and a deep friendship type love one for another. And, and he says here ultimately. He says, I really don't even have to write to you about this because the reality is you are, he says there in verse number nine, that this has been taught to you by God. And, and what a great thing it is that at salvation, God places this love within us for other believers. Uh, this, this love, to this, this, this challenge, this uh, command to, to love one another, it really is a natural reality. It flows out of the new heart that God gives us at the time of salvation. When he gives us that, uh, that, that new heart, when we uh, enter into that relationship with Christ, it's something that God writes on our hearts at the very beginning, that we are to love one another, that we're to care for one another, we're to support one another. 
another. Uh, Christians just have, we just instinctively love one another. It should be a natural outflow of who we are. It should be just a natural flow uh, of, of, of the, how we feel about uh, others who have come to know Christ. And really, when we, we recognize and we see this great family that we've become a part of, we are now a part of the family of God. We are all joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We now all cry out, Abba Father, to, to our Heavenly Father, uh, because we have been given the spirit of adoption. And so now we are a part of this family, and we're commanded to love one another, to care for one another, to support one another. Uh, Paul commends them here, the, the, the believers in Thessalonica. Um, he says that this indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And so evidently they were already building relationships with other believers in other parts of the region. Uh, they were already engaging with other Christ followers in other cities and, and they were caring for them and supporting them. They were giving in offerings. We see that from other passages as well. And so they were, uh, they were, they were doing this. And so Paul is commending them for this and, and kind of saying, man, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm glad to see this happening. But even still he is reminding them and he says, I I want to encourage you to do this more and more. And I think for us, that's a it's a good reminder for us to recognize, you know what, sometimes we just kind of take the, the love that we have for one another for granted, and maybe we're not as uh, careful to show that love in tangible ways. Maybe we're not as careful to speak that love uh, and to really invest in each other's lives, to, to care for one another. And so it's a great reminder. Yes, this love for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's been written on our hearts uh, by Christ through the Holy Spirit. Uh, but man, we ought, we've got to make sure that we're constantly fanning that flame, that we're constantly stoking that fire so that we uh, are seeing the importance of caring for one another. Um, and, and man, I, I know that we have seen over this last year as we've gone through this time of, of pandemic, we have seen the importance of this even more and more as we have had to spend long periods of time in isolation apart from the body of Christ and maybe only being able to share brotherly love over a video screen or, or through phone chats and those kind of things. And so um, hopefully that has caused us to even long more so for connection and to long even more for uh, the affection and the love that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so great reminder for us just to, to be aware of those around us, to be aware of the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ and be willing to step up and help meet those needs and provide that, that love and support. And so, and so why is this so important? Why is it important that we uh, practice brotherly love, that we practice this phileo love? Um, ultimately, it's because the world is watching. The world is watching to see how we treat one another. Jesus himself told his followers, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, not by your fancy preaching or your intense studying or the miracles even that you do. But what did he say? By this will people know that you're my disciple, by your love one for another. It is, it is in loving the body and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ that we are the greatest witness for the power of the gospel. It, it goes against our nature before coming to Christ, right? Before coming to Christ, it's not in our nature. When we're walking in sin, it's not in our nature to love one another, to put others ahead of ourselves. But now that we are in Christ, we have a new nature, right? We are a new creation. And a part of that new nature is that we would love one another, that we would care for one another and support one another. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 8 through 9. He said, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly. Again, you hear this, you're doing well, but man, go deeper. Go deeper. Go harder. Keep loving one another earnestly. And then he said, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
without grumbling, without complaining. Again, put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. Galatians 6, verse 10, Paul took it a step further and kind of, again, it says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. But then he adds, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Again, giving this idea of, of a faith family. And he says, we should do good to every every person. We should be doing good to all people. But man, especially do good. Don't neglect the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's especially be focused on building up and caring for and supporting and loving one another, those of us who are in this new uh, spiritual family. And so to live a testimony that pleases God we must, uh, we must walk in harmony. We must walk in love one for another. We must care for one another. And we must put the needs of others above the needs of our own. So he says, he's encouraging them, walk in a, in a way that pleases God. Live a testimony that pleases and brings honor and glory to God. You do so by walking in holiness, keeping yourself pure. You do so by walking in honesty or in, in harmony, loving one another, caring for one another. And then the third thing, verses 11 and 12, we, we are able to live a testimony that pleases God by walking in honesty, by walking in honesty. And this is really referring to our work ethic, how we engage and interact in this world and how we work in the workplace and how how we work together with others. And really, uh, the, the part about walking in harmony, verses 9 and 10, are dealing more with how we interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and that being a witness to, other, to others outside of the faith. But verses 11 and 12 here, he is speaking about more about how we interact with those who are outside of the body of Christ, those who are in the world, and how we, we interact with them. And he even says here uh, that, that this is to be a testimony to those who are outside, uh, who are outside outside of the faith, who are outsiders, uh, before outsiders, and speaking of those who are, who are outside the faith. So he says here in verse number 11, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So when he, when he talks to when he says live quietly, you're to aspire to live quietly. Uh, this carries the idea of, of being in a, in, at peace, being restful, not being frantic. Um, you know, we, we talked to it, it sounds kind of like, okay, it's, it's kind of a dichotomy here. We, we said earlier that these were believers that were turning the world upside down, and that sounds like, you know, chaos and craziness. But the reality is what he's saying is it, the way that to do that is by walking and living in peace and not being frantic and not being, um, being, being overwhelmed by the happenings of this world. Remember the context here. These believers had come to know Christ, and they were, were really just immediately expecting the return of Christ. And so there was this, this sense of uh, almost some fear of maybe we've missed, we're gonna, what happens if we miss the return of Christ? What happens to our loved ones who, um, who, who, who came to know the Lord and who die before Christ returns? And, and so there's, there's almost this anxiety that they have about them, worried, worrying about what's in the future and worrying about what might happen. And so that anxiety could have e easily caused them to, to live with this angst and live with this franticness about them where they're just kind of always running, kind of trying to get everything figured out and trying to get, make it everything happened. And, and it, it seems to have affected them so much to the point that they, they were at times so frantic that they, and they kind of so expected the imminent return of Christ that they literally were, were just stopping working. They were just quitting work and they were quitting paying their bills and, and they were stopped, they stopped going to work. And, and it was kind of this idea, we're ready for Christ to return. So we're just going to stop everything, all of our dealings with the outside world. And
and we're just going to kind of sit in our cocoon and, and we're going to, we're going to wait and, and bite our nails and wait until he comes and just kind of try to hold on. And so Paul is kind of addressing that here. And he is saying, Hey, Hey, as, as we're waiting with this expectancy and this uh, anticipation of the return of Christ, we, we should be living at peace. We should be living. We shouldn't be frantic about all the happenings in this world, but we should be resting in the, the sovereignty of God and the realities of, of God's truth and, and the, the fact that, that God can be trusted and that, that he's got it all figured out. And so it's not up to us to try to figure all that out and, and try to fix things and make things happen and usher in the kingdom our, ourselves, but resting in God. And so he's saying, as you are interacting with the world around you, Live quietly. Live at peace. Don't be frantic. And then he goes on, and, and there in verse number 12, so that you may walk properly. Walk properly. Um, I get, again, this, this walk in honesty. That, that's the word that the King James uses there. It means to, to walk in a seemly way. Uh, ultimately, Paul wanted the believers to find their sufficiency in Christ and not to be running around and creating problems in the, work, in the workplace. To, to walk in a sense of understanding your responsibility and fulfilling your responsibilities. And he says there that you do this before outsiders and don't be dependent on anyone else. Don't be dependent on others to pay your bills. Don't be dependent on others to, to be your source uh, of livelihood. But, but again, rest in the sovereignty and the provision of God. Work hard, be diligent, do the right thing before those in the world. Again, their tendency was to quit work because they believed that the Lord would return. Uh, but, it, but Paul is saying, live in such a way and work hard so that you are not a burden on others. So you are not weighing down others, but instead you are being an example. You are being an example for others. You are, you are building up others, the outsiders that are outside of the faith. Um, don't make others have to pick up your slack. Don't work in such a way to where others are constantly having to come in and do things to make things better for your organization, your company, your ministry, your workplace. But he's saying work in such a way that your work ethic, again, points to the fact that there's something different about you. We, we as believers ought to have the strongest work ethic of anyone around us. We ought, we ought to be disciplined. We ought to be uh, purposeful. We ought to work hard. We ought to work diligently. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter was saying, and the same thing I did that Paul is giving here, is there, there are people that are outside the faith, and they're going to, just as evildoers, they're going to speak against those of us who are doing right, those of us who are walking in biblical ways, those of us who are true to our, to our faith in Christ, and those of us who are Christ followers. He said, they're going to speak against you anyway just because your life is different from theirs. But don't live in such a way that gives them even more reason to speak down about you, gives them even more reason to speak negatively of you. He says, he says walk in a way that is honorable before them. Don't give them any space or any room to speak evil of you. And he says, ultimately, you're walking in this way and you're interacting with them in a way that brings glory to God. Um, it will, they will, they'll see your deeds. And ultimately, this could point them to uh, a relationship with Christ as well and ultimately show that our faith is real and is genuine. 
So again, as Christ followers, we must strive to, to be the best employee, to be the hardest worker, uh, to have a testimony, again, uh, that, that points to our honoring God. Uh, we ought to work as unto Him. Colossians 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So Paul, again, is reminding his, his readers that this is not about uh, working for, for men. This is about honoring God and bringing glory to Him. And when we do so, it is a witness to those around us. Uh, we must live at work and live at play so that we can be continuously in all of these places, in all of these situations, we can be a witnessing testimony to the transforming power of the gospel and to the glory of God. As we interact with the lost, uh, we must practice honesty. We must be diligent workers. We must do things with excellence. Um, you know, here in, in, in our space of, of orphan care ministry, um, James 127, right, is one of our most famous, familiar verses and that we, that we like to quote. The reality of James 127 as you get to the end of that verse, as we visit orphans and widows, as we join the most vulnerable in their affliction, James says that that becomes a witness to the world. He says keep it keeps us unspotted uh, from the world. It keeps us in a way to where the world can't throw darts at us or point to us. It, it, it really ultimately heightens our testimony. And the same is true in this reality. As we, uh, in this ministry of caring for vulnerable children and families, as we interact with caseworkers, as we interact with judges and state workers, as we interact with biological parents and expectant mothers and birth mothers and all these different ones, that, that God brings along our paths as we minister to vulnerable children and families. We must be sure that we are working with, that we, that we are carrying a high work ethic, that we are being diligent in our uh, interactions, that we are doing what we say we will do, uh, that we are following through on things, that we are loving them well, that we are caring for them well, and ultimately that we are pointing them to the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, folks, when Christ saves us, he changes us. We're no longer like we used to be. We are new creations in him. And so as we interact and live in this broken, fallen world, we must make sure that we are living a testimony that pleases God, that is pointing to him. That, uh, that is bringing him glory and bringing him honor uh, and so that others will see that our lives are different. So as we go about our day to day, uh, as we live our life each moment, as we interact with the world around us, may we truly walk in, uh, may, we, may we walk in holiness. May we put aside uh, the wickedness of this world, walk in holiness. May we walk in, uh, in, in harmony together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, practicing this brotherly love. May we walk in honesty, dealing in our interactions with others. May we work hard, work diligently, and do what is right. And then we're going to see next time we're together in the, in the last few verses of this chapter that we also must walk in hope. Uh, the great thing for us is that this world is not the end. Uh, this broken, fallen world is not the end for us. We are living with an expectation, a, a, a confident expectation, a hope uh, in the return of Jesus Christ. And so we're excited and grateful. And that spurs us on again to continue to live for him, to bring him glory, to bring him honor. So I hope you'll take some time maybe today to reflect on this passage and uh, just think through our own lives and what that looks like. Are we caring well for one another? And are we working with diligence, working hard to, to be a witness to others in the workplace and those around us uh, on a daily basis? Our prayer focus this week is on the country of Hungary. So let's join together in prayer for the needs of this country. 
Dear Holy Father God, we love you and thank you so much for the opportunity to lift our hearts to you today, God. We thank you for your word, how it guides us and directs us and helps us know how to interact with one another as well as interact with those in the world around us as we seek to live out our faith and proclaim the power of the gospel. Lord, as we come together in prayer today, God, we lift up the needs of the country of Hungary. Lord, we pray specifically for the people of Hungary. Lord, this is a uh, country that, that has a, a, a strong religious history, and uh, but Lord, that religious history often has been void of the true understanding of the gospel. It's one that's steeped in, uh, Lord, traditions more than relationship with Christ. And so God, we pray that you would continue to bring people to yourself, that you would open their eyes to see their need for a Savior, and that Jesus is that Savior, and that many would, would come to faith in you. Uh, God, we pray for the discrimination that happens there, specifically against the Roma population and uh, the Roma children, God. And so we pray that you would protect these children and that you would protect uh, these little ones from that discrimination, that you would keep them safe and that you would provide for them. God, we lift up the ministry of Lifeline in Hungary, and we thank you so much for the families who have recognized the call to adopt from this country. We pray, God, that you would uh, just guide them, keep them safe, keep them uh, in a place of being able to trust you through the process, through the waiting, and all the different things that go with that. Uh, God, we pray that you would provide more families for, for the children of Hungary, Lord, that you would raise up more families that would be missionally minded to uh, love and care for these kiddos. God, we thank you for the three children uh, this year already that have been able to uh, to come home and, and be a part of their forever family uh, from the country of Hungary. Lord, we lift up our team to you, God. I pray for specifically for Adam, who is uh, kind of leads our team there in Hungary, God. I thank you so much that you recently saved him and he he came to faith in Christ. And now we pray, God, that you would strengthen his faith, Lord, and use him in a mighty way as you grow him. And uh, Lord, continue to, to help him to be able to, to grow in his relationship with you. We pray that you would give him influence with the government officials and others uh, there in that country. We pray, God, that those in leadership in that country and the government would uh, recognize the need of the needs of these vulnerable children and uh, that they would continue to be in favor of international adoption and see the urgency in, in getting this completed for waiting children. God, we lift up uh, those in the U.S. government that work together hand in hand with the Hungarian government, God, and we pray that you just, again, would continue to strengthen relationships there uh, so that we would have more opportunity, God, for Christian mission-minded families to uh, step in and provide forever families to these waiting children. God, we pray also for our team here at Lifeline uh, that continues to work with families and continues to uh, advocate for these young people that are without a, without a home. Ultimately, God, we do pray for those that are orphaned children there in Hungary, Lord, that are, uh, Lord, different stages of life, different issues that they're facing. Um, and God, we just pray that you just, again, would protect them, that you would hold them close, that they would know you as Father. Uh, Lord, and then that you would provide families to love them and care for them and continue to point them to Jesus. God, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this process, be a part of your work in this area. And uh, so, God, we just continue to lift up the nation of Hungary, the people of Hungary, and specifically, God, the children of Hungary. And pray that you uh, would continue to, to work your will uh, and have your way in their lives and in ours as well. God, I pray that you continue to guide and direct us and we'll give you praise for it. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. 
For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music